Hey y'all, before we begin, I want to share with you that my online course, The Neurodiverse Classroom, is available now for elementary teachers. You can enroll anytime at learnwithdremily.com slash teachers. I created this course because every classroom is already a neurodiverse classroom. You became a teacher because you love watching students thrive, but you're starting to question if you can meet the needs of such a diverse group of learners. I see you. You are emotionally exhausted, especially after the past three years, but you're not alone and I'm here to help. So if you're ready to learn how to connect with every student and unlock their spark for learning again, sign up at learnwithdremily.com slash teachers. That's learnwithdremily.com slash teachers. Okay, y'all, let's start the show. Welcome to Learn with Dr. Emily, the podcast where parents and teachers come together for neurodivergent youth. I'm your host, Dr. Emily King, child psychologist and former school psychologist specializing in raising and teaching children and teens diagnosed with autism, ADHD, anxiety, learning disabilities, and or giftedness. Each week, I share my thoughts on a topic related to psychology, parenting, education, or parent-teacher collaboration, which you can read on my blog or listen in here. If you want to learn more about me and my online resources for parents and teachers, just visit learnwithdremily.com. So let's get started. This week, we're talking about neurodivergent students and noncompliance. Parents, you will notice that in the next several weeks, I'm going to be talking directly to teachers. I invite you to stay and listen and read and learn. The reason I've changed my focus a few times for for teachers and then again for parents is that I want you each to hear the other person's perspective. This will help us share our stories and perspectives, which is the foundation of effective collaboration. So parents, I hope you stay and listen in. So let's talk about when we say noncompliance, what do we mean? So this week's blog got a little bit of um, attention when I stated the title, please stop saying neurodivergent students are choosing noncompliance. And this is really what's going on. So yes, all students at some time appear to not comply with the tasks that they've been given. But I wanna make a distinction here on if they are choosing it or if this is an automatic nervous system stress response. So listen in for my thoughts. So children don't do everything we ask them to do when we ask them to do it. As adults, we immediately assume this is because they're not understanding what we said, so we try communicating the same expectation again by repeating ourselves, sometimes in a louder or more frustrated voice. If that doesn't work, our own frustration starts to grow, which inhibits our resources to remain emotionally regulated, which we need to be able to problem solve. We are never our best selves when we're stressed. Yet the way we respond in this moment that a child doesn't do what we've asked them to do either creates a safe connection for the child to trust us as we align with them to solve the problem, or we trigger a defense response in the child if we've inadvertently disregarded the child's need to feel safe at that moment. So what does this look like in a classroom? When kindergarten students start the school year, no one expects them to know what to do. Teachers spend time building trust and safety, a sense of classroom community and routine, and then the learning can begin. But for neurodivergent students, many will continue to lack the skills needed to be a student later on into elementary school. So it's hard to remember that they may still need the support with executive functioning skills, social skills, and emotional regulation skills before asking them to engage in academic learning. 
we further get confused if students have strengths in areas, like why are they really great at math or really high readers but can't remember their belongings? In order to complete a task with the that a teacher has asked a student to complete, that student must not only understand what's being expected of them, but also needs to feel emotionally safe to begin a task they're unsure about. Because remember, learning is a vulnerable experience. And the student must also have the skills to do the thing, be motivated to do the thing, and then understand how to get started and be able to get started. So when a child doesn't respond in an expected way, some familiar thoughts you may have as a teacher are, oh, he is choosing to put his head down and not get started, or she's choosing to argue with me instead of getting to work, or he's choosing unsafe behaviors. When I hear these phrases from teachers or administrators, it's time to get curious and start problem solving. If a student with an autism spectrum, ADHD, or anxiety diagnosis does not begin a task that you've asked them to do, more times than not, it is a stress response and not a choice. Neurodivergent students are triggered more often and more easily than their neurotypical peers. In some cases, this is due to a sensitive nervous system, and sometimes it's due to previous school experiences. Many times it's due to both. Remember, getting started on a task requires feeling safe in the environment, feeling connected to the person asking you to do the thing, plus the skills and motivation to carry out the task. If one of these things is missing, a student's ability to begin the task will likely crumble. This crumbling will have different levels of severity depending on how the child responds to stress. I love this visual by Supportable Solutions, which shows the three states of our nervous system, depending on the perception of threat around us. If you want to see this visual, just head over to my blog on my website, um, and there's a link to my Substack. Hey y'all, I'm excited to announce that registration is now open for my summer workshops for elementary educators. We will be joining each other live via Zoom on Wednesday mornings in July to learn about reframing behavior, designing social emotional lesson plans, how to write social stories that work, and also how to teach children about each other's neurodiversity. To learn more, go to learnwithdremily.com slash summer. Now back to the show. But the top level is when we're in our upper cortex with social engagement, we're able to to speak, to problem solve, and engage with things socially. When we're in our midbrain or, or where all of our emotions are located near our amygdala, we're starting to move away from the threat. This is fight or flight. We're having emotions. We're looking panicked. And then when we're down in our brainstem or our most animalistic type of response, we're frozen. We feel down. We shut down. We might um, hide. We might feel sad or shame or depressed. These are all really, really deep feelings that children and students, young students may not be able to explain. So when we feel safe and connected to either our people or our interests, we're able to learn. When we perceive a threat, some of us go into fight or flight and some go into freeze. This is a naturally occurring and automatic response our brain has to defend us from danger. For many neurodivergent kids and adults, their nervous systems are more sensitive to these perceptions and many register a danger response that a neurotypical brain would not. Therefore, it's important to believe a child when they communicate overwhelm, even if it doesn't quite make sense to us. These defensive responses are also not a choice. That would be like saying that I chose to run from the grizzly bear that I saw in the woods, or I chose to grab my child's arm when they stepped into oncoming traffic. 
Choosing these responses would imply that I had the time to consider an alternative option and decide that this action was best. When we react to perceived danger, there is no time for a choice. Our brain immediately responds to the best way it knows how to feel safe. Now, of course, a child cannot be harmed by a math worksheet in the same way they would by stepping out into oncoming traffic. But it's their perception of the difficulty that is the quote-unquote danger here. If the task is too overwhelming due to high expectations and a lack of skills, you might get a non-compliant response of freezing with the student's head down on their desk. This is what the child knows how to do under these circumstances. So we need to get curious and figure out the following. Is the expectation too high? What skill is missing to get started? And how can I connect with these students or this particular student to help them feel safe in this moment of learning? In other words, what, can, what we can do is teach a child a safer or more productive way to respond when met with a challenge. So imagine instead saying, he's not getting started on his own. I wonder what feels overwhelming to him about this assignment. She's getting upset and asking lots of questions about this assignment. I wonder what and how I could, clar- I could clarify this for her. Gosh, he's running and hiding under the table every time he's asked to write. I wonder if he needs support coming up with ideas, organizing his thoughts, fine motor skills, or all of the above. So problem solving in these moments will take your energy and practice as an educator but it will be worth it. That's why I don't teach these ideas without also discussing educator self-care and parent-teacher collaboration. No teacher can do this alone. That's why I've created the Neurodivergent Classroom and I'm offering this free resource in October on teacher mental wellness. If you're ready to learn more about managing your energy as a teacher and beating burnout this school year, I've created a free video series for elementary teachers available the week of October 17th. You can sign up for the free resource at learnwithdremily.com slash beat burnout. There's also a link on my website. Let's stay connected.